0: Hi guys, and welcome back to Confessions of a Wanna Be It Girl. It is May, and you know what that means. May means we got a new theme going here on the podcast. Now, I did do a poll a little while ago, and I saw some of you were really into the theme, and some of you weren't into the theme. The irony was, of course, it was about like 50-50. So we're still doing the theme. I'm just kind of keeping it theme light, if that's cool. So this month's theme is... I started with the idea of it's going to be like hot girl summer. And then I was like, what the fuck, Marley? Absolutely not. It is not hot girl summer. So it is hot girl zone summer. Let me explain what hot girl zone summer is. Actually, it might just be like being in the zone girl summer. I'm not sure. We're still figuring out what the concept is. The idea though, however, oh my God. The idea is finding your zone, your groove, your place finding what you're passionate about going after those things being in your zone and i think that can be in so many different ways you know it can be it in staying true to a morning routine that you know really gets you going and sets you up to work your best it can be finding your passion and chasing your dreams but i think we can all agree there's times where you feel really off doing things that are even important to you. I've recently had a huge one of that. Um, I love acting. I'm always going to be chasing after acting and chasing sounds bad. I'm still going for acting, but you know, I kind of had to like, be like, fuck, like this is not in my zone right now. Like, it's just not working for me. And I had to like reevaluate, breathe, deal with my burnout. And now I'm kind of like trying to get back in my zone with acting. I have way more gotten in the zone with the podcast. I just feel my focus is really clear around it. And so right now I'm saying that is my zone girl summer. Zone girl summer. That's what we're going with. Zone girl summer. And so I'm kind of focusing all these episodes lightly on finding what your zone is or like where you need to like refocus and readjust your life. And um, Gigi is the first guest of this month. Gigi is a podcaster, influencer, and advocate. And we talk a lot about social media and advocacy and what that looks like. We also talk about being in the zone of advocacy, using your voice, finding your power. And that is really Gigi's zone. And you can tell the way she talks about it. She's very clear And we talk about that during the episode. So that is kind of the theme of this month. So theme light, what is your girl zone summer? And by girl, you know, I mean any gender, but how many men are really listening to this podcast still? If you are, shoot me a DM. So zone girl summer is our theme and Gigi is here to kick it off. So you want to be an it girl? guys welcome back to the podcast today we are joined by Gigi. she's a podcaster a body image advocate a chronic illness mental health advocate and an artist and digital creator so welcome gg to the podcast we're so excited to have you thanks for having me this is so fun such a fun uh
1: show and yeah, I'm just happy to be here. Happy Friday afternoon.
0: Happy Friday. Um, So you do a lot and you have a lot of things that are important to you. Can we kind of break down how each of these things came to be a part of your journey and story? I feel like that might take five days, but... <laughs>
1: Um, but yeah, so I guess where do I, I mean, where do I even start? I, you know, have always been a creative person. I grew up in New York City, and I did have access to some amazing, you know, public schools that uh, kind of immersed me in art from a young age. And I ended up going to the LaGuardia High School of Music Art and Performing Arts here in New York, which for those who don't know that are listening, um, is the famed school, the well-esteemed ah. like, Babe, I wanna live forever, like that. School um, was literally like my reality. Like that's actually how school was every day. Obviously, really? not not in the form of a musical every day, but yeah. there are moments that it was like people dancing on tables, breaking out into song in the hallways. Like it actually happened. Yeah, um, love that. There and then, I went to the University of Southern California for my undergrad out in Los Angeles, and then I continued on for my masters as well, which I am eight months away from completing. have uh, the masters left, aka summer and fall. So I'm really excited to kind of like be done with school and just like get on with my life. And I honestly think I love academics, which have really helped you know shape who I am. But also, on top of that, it helps me articulate myself in a way that um, I think is very helpful in terms of storytelling and advocacy. Not to say you need to have an education to do what I do, but I just find it to be helpful for my specific workflow. And uh, yeah, the other stuff, I mean, how did I become an influencer? I always started posting my photography online from a young age. And I really just wanted people to like know that I was like good at photography and everything. And then again, when I got to USC, I joined a social media club called Reach. And it was all about fostering community with people that are in the fields of social media and digital marketing. And basically, the rest is kind of history. I just started doing on-campus marketing events with different companies, posting about it, going to networking events out in L.A., I'm really kind of like throwing myself right into it and doing internships and in entertainment. Um, ad, you know, uh, advertising, startup world, like, uh, you know, there's just honestly so much that I did out there. And I think part of it is really because of my journey at USC. And I guess the pandemic also is a time where I could really laser in and fixate on doing what I want to do instead of like not. So that's a long story
0: short. I love that. So if you're comfortable talking about it, can we talk about you know, your experience with discovering you have a chronic illness and kind of like about that journey of your diagnosis and how it became also such a part of your advocacy that you're working on?
1: Yeah. The advocacy is something that I became passionate about because of my chronic illness. And I was diagnosed at 10 years old here in New York City. And, you know, at the time, there wasn't as much research about my chronic illness called Ehlers Danlos syndrome as there is today. And um, essentially, I just didn't understand what my chronic illness really was. And it was honestly, Something that I think I lived with and didn't want to believe because I couldn't like see anything wrong. I was doing so much mind over matter. You're going to be okay. Everything's good. Like just keep going, blah, blah, blah. And ultimately, I think that's something that hurt me at the end of the day because I didn't really accept that I was sick and that I needed help until like August. Wow. <laughs> um, of like there were times where i in undergrad like for sure needed help and knew i was suffering but i didn't start really consistently taking medication that actually helped me until august 2021
0: wow yeah. and for the audience members who maybe don't know like could you define what a chronic illness is
1: yeah so um luckily it's very easy because the term chronic means that it's always there um it's something that is not what's called acute it's the opposite of acute um something acute would mean that that it is happening like now as a result of something versus something chronic is a long-term thing that usually doesn't have an end and you kind of live with it forever. And illness... Mm-hmm. Herself. Um, so an acute example would be like breaking your ankle. A chronic illness is having Ehlers-Danlos hypermobility syndrome where my ligaments and joints in my entire body, specifically around my ankles, uh, can make it extremely hard to stay stable and keep my joints in place.
0: And there's nothing that can fix that so that's the example I can give so like' you know you've been dealing with this for a long time and like you know I heard you talk a little bit about your on your podcast about like dealing with it in the academic situation and like you know it's really hard to seek out support when it's something not everybody's able to see you know and like I would just love if you could share like your experience of like working with people to understand what you're going through and like how that's part of your advocacy now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, dealing with something invisible is hard in general. I think it's especially hard when you have no control over how other people can understand the situation because most of the time they just like don't, you know, like they just can't, they just won't understand at all. Um, and I think that honestly, like dealing with it in an academic setting is one of the most humiliating, humbling, um, disturbing environments I think that could be because you're paying to be in an institution a lot of the times, or you're invited in and you're expected to be mentored by these people who were vetted by a university who have been through years and years of teaching, who have seen so many different students, you would think that they would be compassionate and helpful and interested in helping a student get the like, job done right? Um, Throughout the semester, and it was a very again humbling moment for me because these teachers, with all of their tenure, like did not understand. They didn't want to understand. They didn't try. They weren't accepting. And it was really a moment where, like, I didn't know what else to do other than like make art about it and use art as a mechanism to heal. And I think that I'm not saying everyone who has a chronic illness should like start doing art to heal. But I mean, art therapy and music therapy, it is something that's like, you know, an emerging form of therapy that is really, really helpful for people um healing with all kinds of mental illnesses, grief invisible conditions and for me it was the thing that ended up allowing me to express and articulate myself better because i was able to show don't tell first mm-hmm. and so- after like my, you know, images and my art projects,
0: then I was able to talk about it and critique the work and explain it to people. Yeah. I think it's just, it's so interesting about the school system. I I mean, I do not have a chronic illness, but I am severely dyslexic and it's, you know, the, the communication to people who are supposed to be supporting you. It's just so under talked about like those conversations when, you know, you need to receive support from, you know, I spent a lot of time in disability services being like, how can we communicate to them that I need to have extra time on reading assignments, or you know, if I need to take the test a day later, I just that's that's the deal. Mm-hmm. It takes me longer to read or whatever, and um, it's just so under talked about. And I wish there had been someone like you in the space when I was like growing up to be like, you know, it's okay to use your words and like seek help from the people who are going to, because not everyone is going to understand these things that are not um completely visual. You know, it's not always like that. And so I just am so curious to hear more about like you talk about with your content that like you really want content to reflect values and not just clout. How did this all start to like link up for you?
1: Yeah. Well, the really interesting thing about I think everything that I've done is it's all been simultaneously evolving together. So, you know, I've had my chronic illness since I was 10. I've been dealing with pushback for a long, long time. Um, I didn't start being vocal about it until I was in college because I think it was like my breaking point. But also it was a time where I moved away from New York City where I grew up Mm -hmm. and I was alone, 3000 miles away from home alone. I didn't have my family to rely on. I didn't have my parents to advocate for me in a situation or go to the principal and say, this person's bullying her because of, you know, she's using the elevator. What the heck's that about? Like, you know, that's not fair. That's not nice. And, um, you know, I started on social media because I wanted to end up evolving my photography business and uh, be a photographer, like a top photographer and shoot ad campaigns and movie posters of celebrities like, and make them feel super confident. And as I was in LA, I think that sort of shifted because my focus... In a way, like was internal. And I think I needed to do that to help me obviously get where I am today. But I ended up really just posting about, you know, just like photos and content for these brands and applying it to the college demographic. So I kind of learned like, okay, what's the, you know, verbiage that you can use to express um, something in a way that's catered to college students or collegiate demo. And from there, it was like, oh, how can you do that for New York demos? How can you do that for LA demos? How can you do that based on festival season or based on summer, like so on and so forth? So I started doing that. And then I started looking closer into the entertainment world and working with Warner Bros and Paramount and really diving deeper into like what makes a good creator from like the internal side from the, the money spending side Mm -hmm. um, on the front end. So I think that gives me a really holistic viewpoint. And when I came home um, from the pandemic, or because of the pandemic, in the spring of 2020, I think the biggest thing that I learned was that there were so many people struggling, there was so much happening, there was so much isolation. I just felt wrong posting online about like pimple patches mm-hmm. and PR images I right. was getting. And I was like, wait, Gigi, you need to like shift some things up. I'm not saying you can't be multifaceted because do I get things from brands all the time? Do I talk about them and share them? Yes. Like that's kind of the whole point of a PR package and <laughs> a influencer, but you know, with all of that, I was like, there needs to be something else. Like you need to be able to relate to people. You need to be able to help them. And for me, that was about talking about chronic illness and my experience in school and my senior thesis, and also my relationship with body image and food and fitting into, you know, different outfits and things like that. So that is really where it all kind of started. And it's only snowballed in like the best way, you know?
0: Yeah. What are some of the things that have come out of you being, I mean, truly authentic, not like the Instagram coined authentic, like, oh, you're going to be authentic on your social media. And it's, there's such a push for that, but like you are truly sharing like what you actually are experiencing, not just like the crying on the Instagram story. Like what are some of those things you have seen come out of being like loud and clear about what you've been going through? Um, I mean,
1: the biggest thing is the community of people that support me and also deal with it and know that you're not alone and like the most gratifying thing for me um in like the least egotistical way is the fact that people from all around the world people from the uk people from south africa people from you know australia will message me from and also the united states um (laughs) not like yeah no um, will message me just being like, because of you, like I got my diagnosis or thank you for pushing me to advocate for myself. Like this helped me get, you know, on a medication that's helped me gain my functionality back and in, into society really. And like, that's, what's the most important for me out of all of this. And I mean, I think some of the moments of me, like the other day, like I, I had an endoscopy and like literally the first thing I did off of anesthesia was take a video of me with my <laughs> professor. I, no, not my professor my doctor was um, fun. literally was like hi guys like the surgery the procedure went well by the way, here's my doctor, and like, <laughs> he was like, ha, ha ha, and like, also really interesting too because I've been able to have these conversations with my doctors and in medical settings about my job and what I do and how I stand mm-hmm. up, and it, it makes me get better care because I think they they know that like I'll talk about it Go if ahead. I don't, and I know I think that's really good, and I'm not saying hold your doctor accountable on social media, like it, it takes a it takes a certain kind of person to do that, but that is not me first of all and second of all i think it's important to not share the the complaining mm-hmm. um sometimes you can complain or um Yeah. You can evolve or complain. That's the quote. And in a situation where something in a medical setting goes wrong, you can complain about it all you want. But if you don't come up with some like ideas on how to move on, you're never going. So I try to come up with, here's the situation of what happened. How can we make sure nobody else goes through this again? And how can we give them the tools or at least like the case study of like, this is what happened. Let's make sure it doesn't happen again.
0: Yeah. I love what you're saying about, you know, Obviously, not everyone's going to be an influencer, but I think it really shows the power of the voice, like speaking up, knowing that, you know, here's a strong person who is going to speak upon their experience, no matter what shape or form on internet or not. Like, I think it's just like we need to throw back and remember that people are going to have voices about their experience. And like, because of that, we should all receive, you know, love, care, kindness, because everybody does have an opinion.
1: Yeah. When I do this advocacy work, I don't really, I'm not thinking about the person that's going to be upset. I'm not thinking really about my doctor. Like I don't disclose their names. I'm not thinking yeah. Um, the people that it's going to make uncomfortable. I'm thinking about the people that it's going to help and I'm thinking about making the patient experience better. For example, I'm into the ER about a month ago because I had some stomach issues that like were just like insane and it took hours just sitting in the ER, sitting there. And all they did was give me an IV and we're like, we can give you some morphine. I was like, I'm not here for morphine. I'm here to figure out my stomach. Like I don't even want I'm not, I am In pain, but I don't want that. Like, I'm not here for that. I want a doctor who might be able to, you know, help figure out what's actually going on. And they like literally dismissed me. So I messaged the ER's Instagram and I said, Hi, I've been at this ER for nine plus hours. They, you know, I have not had a good patient experience. Is there someone I can talk to about this? And within 10 minutes, a rep came down to my chair where I was sitting and was like, what's going on? And I was like, well, blah, 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 blah. And obviously, again, like. Did that really help like in the moment? I'm not sure because I'm not going back there again, mm-hmm. but it at least made them aware of the power that I could have. If right. the, the power of making patients know that they have direct accessibility to a patient services person, literally by sending a DM. Mm-hmm. That's, that's crazy. You would right. be on hold for probably a few hours. hours. I shit you not. So
0: yeah. like your social media and get out there and like advocate for yourself. I love that. We talk a lot about social media on this podcast. We are hugely focused on debunking social media. And like, I would love to kind of know what is your like relationship with like social media? Like what is your consumption? Like, you know, what is your hope for social media where it's going, you know? And like, how have you also like already grown in social media?
1: Well, I think there's like a bunch of different things. Honestly, I think one of the first things is the fact that like, it is my career. It's not really, you know, it, it started off being a digital portfolio which I still look at it as and it evolved into a platform mm-hmm. and I think the cool thing about social media um you know pl- platforms or companies is that they give people a voice maybe like in the sense that like they never would have had it before and I think that that's really kind of cool because what other kind of form um or medium allows you to do that in mm-hmm. in today's world like, I don't no I can't think of it what did it before I mean you had to get lucky doing public speaking right you need to have right. an agent to, to get a book deal sometimes I, I read this article the other day like some girl or or even to land a spot on a show right like mm-hmm. people post things and agents see them and are like I believe in this person let's fucking go mm-hmm. and I think everybody has that shot everybody has that opportunity it's just a matter of like leaning into it and figuring out like how you're going to actually use that to your advantage. And, you know, for the people that don't like social media, like I totally get it. Like that's on you and on like your, you know, that's your own prerogative. But for the people that like it and that really want to make it happen for themselves, they literally just have to put in like effort. Mm -hmm. and the impact can come later on Um, I don't necessarily like praise or like obsess over the fashion girlies or like the makeup people because that's not my niche right like Mm -hmm. that helps other people with their style or with their confidence maybe right like I think all of that is all really cool Mm -hmm. Uh, but for me I'm about advocacy and community building and a lot of times um, I feel like sometimes content can be empty online so for me when I'm like scrolling and I see something that just doesn't sit well, I mute, unfollow, like I, it's not even worth my time to second guess it if I have a bad
0: feeling initially, bye-bye. Um, and I think that that's
1: kind of cool. No, I but. love
0: that. I'm a huge proponent of like, if that gives you the ick, cut it out because it's going to innately affect you and continue to carry on. And you, you have to, especially someone like yourself, like, you know, you can be a content creator or you can be a content consumer. And it's like, you know, what you're sending into your channel, what you're giving the worth, literally the worth of the view, the time. It yeah. matters not only for the world, but for you. So like, I'm a huge proponent of mute, unfollow, whatever like you just have to yeah. hold you have to hold yourself literally we, we kind of just talked about this this past yeah hold yourself accountable to what you're consuming
1: yeah and it's like really challenging to do honestly because like a lot of the times, we're not even aware that we're processing things or having self-deprecating thoughts. So the next time you're like on social media, I would recommend literally just like pausing and being like doing an audit while you're scrolling. Being like, am I seeing stuff that I like? Am I seeing stuff that empowers me? Am I feeling good about this? You know? And when you have that, like, I think that it's really just important, honestly, um, to to spend time thinking about. So
0: yeah. I love, I love that. Um so I have a good question for you. What do you feel about the current climate of like social media influencers, content creators and like what's your hope for that? Yeah, um my hope for content creators just yeah where the whole industry is going like the climate is large there's a large fan we got everything from you know fashion blah 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 and like the whole space like how are what like what is your feeling about the current economy of influencers
1: yeah well there's so much going on and I actually just read a report today about why YouTube is like literally 75% male dominated and um, about the consumption and the fact that like YouTube marketing itself under this um kind of image of beauty and these lifestyle women who kill mm-hmm. it. But think about it, how many people are they actually like highlighting or like how many like like I feel like let me try to rephrase this. I feel like a lot of the time that might just be a way to get people in and click on a video where then they get led to the male dominated side of it, a gaming web three, so on and so forth. And I'm not a the platform is fully like male dominated, but if you, it's like in the numbers, like you can't deny it. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's really, really, you know, interesting and also, um, I think that people are going to end up having a much clearer directive, maybe mm-hmm. on one side <laughs> on the other side. I think people are just going to continue doing things for clout as we very commonly see with like TikTok. We mm-hmm. see people trying to post just to go viral or doing a dance because it's trending. And if it makes you happy, it makes you happy. But a lot of the industry is moving towards these like overnight successes where also it, Kind of gives this false illusion of success to you because it's like, oh yeah, you know what? We'll give you some instant gratification for a little bit. Okay, just kidding. Now we won't. And you know what? To get you more addicted to our platform, we're going to make the engagement so much lower, or we're going to show it to less people. So then, and then we'll have you do that for a month, and then by the end of that month, we're going to have another video go viral, and so the cycle continues. And I'm not saying that that like is like confirmed. That's just speculative. And I think start to see more and more of that. And as We see more and more of that. Again, it could go two ways. I see people being super, super interested in it, or potentially seeing, you know, people pull back Mm -hmm. and push back online. I also see social media continue to be and evolve further to being a place where people consume things that they need for their education, for Mm -hmm. news, for, you know, health, even. I mean, people are taking to random people, people that look like you and I, people that are just like like them like they they see some of themselves and it's not somebody who's far-fetched who you know is on tv is like a proclaimed journalist right like no like i think that is going to dwindle especially off of like more mainstream broadcast and more so into like having like blogs and real like curated conversations from these platforms
0: yeah i totally i i mean i see that shift going on even in entertainment too like so much the push for like i mean even the reality TV is scripted and I could go into a whole tangent about that like we are pushing so much more to see real life and I think that we a huge place we've seen that in the past like two years is in the commercial space like the real life people always like in the you know Taco Bell commercial those were always actors and now like we are you know putting in influencers we're putting in like people who actually are like huge fans of the brand like but I don't know I don't know if this is true but like the Taco Bell man like we want to see him in the ad over, you know, the, you know, tiny little itsy bitsy blonde girl, like being like delicious talk about like, I don't want to see that. That's bullshit to me. And Mm. so I love this like concept of having like the real people really doing those things.
1: Yeah. And I think it's also just going to be like in you you mentioned the word authentic. Like how can you tell someone's authentic? All in all, like in full transparency, you you never know. Even when you meet somebody like face to face, like you don't know unless you're really, really friends with somebody mm-hmm. if they're truly authentic. I think that word is essentially something that has now been misconstrued and okay. over into I have access to you. That's Mm -hmm. what they mean by authenticity. They mean Mm -hmm. show your full self so I have more access to you so that I can get more out of my consumption Mm -hmm. than, you know, not. Like, that's what I think it means.
0: Yeah, I think authentic's been totally like buzzed out and it doesn't even mean what we really want it to anymore. And also like, I kind of think authentic is still pretty on some level. And I'm like, that's not actually the meaning of the world. So I hope that changes in time and like we do come full circle I will say on like one hand though I I have been somewhat more impressed with people like yourself you know coming forward and using the social media like of that in the past year like I've really seen a lot of accounts like that come forward instead of just you know trying on outfits which not knocking it it works yeah. people love it I think the people who do it get a lot out of it it's just like we need this space if this platform can do all the things we want it to do which it does we need the space for all the things and like that has its space and this has its space and you know it needs its moment in the sun to have like advocacy yeah i cannot agree more and i think the one concern that i have with the
1: idea of advocacy is kind of like like poster child advocacy where some people just kind of like hop on it, especially like more like celebrities. Like, do they care? Yes. Do they, you know, think it's a good cause? Yes. Are they getting paid? Probably also yes. Are they going to actually do something and go volunteer like in person and take it off the digital? That's the thing. That's that's what you have to look for. And sometimes those things aren't documented, but I think they should be. And I also think that when it comes to, you know, people um in like uh how do i describe it people inside of the advocacy space some of them in fact most of them are educated and have you know a lot of impact and um, tangible research and resources outside of social media that they then articulate themselves into a 15 to 60 second video. Yes. The danger in over advocacy online is the fact that anybody can be an advocate, which we love. Like we want everyone sharing their authentic story, but not everybody's like a licensed educated professional and therefore the advice or the thought leadership that they might offer could be a little bit misleading. And I thought that is something we need more
0: kind of like education on, you know? Mm -hmm. Totally. This is going to be a huge 360 flip in our last couple minutes here. But this month on the podcast, we're kind of focused on this idea of like hot girl summer. And I don't actually mean hot girl summer. I mean, like when you are somebody who is like in the zone, you know what's important to you. You are chasing the dreams. You're putting yourself out there. You're speaking, it feels cliche to say, but like speaking your truth or like, you know, really putting yourself out there. And I think you are like literally the prime example of exactly that. So I like, what would you say to somebody who's like looking to get into this zone? Mm,
1: Yeah, I would say... Well, hmm, I think like somebody looking to get into the zone of like social advocacy needs to first kind of understand their place on social media. So do an audit on yourself, not only what you're consuming, but look at, you know, what are you posting and does that align with what you're thinking about, what you want to talk about, right? And if it doesn't, how can you improve? Who's killing it? How can you collaborate with them? How can you look at what they're doing and say, oh, I want to get into that. Maybe, you know what, I'll shoot the one of their brand partners a DM and say, I want to share my story, right? Mm-hmm. It's that simple. You just have to put that extra effort in um, to learn about it. So there's that. And I don't think you could ever have like too much education or too much knowledge. I think knowledge is power. That's why that's one of the most famous quotes I think we hear. And With that, I also think that the more that you know, again, the better you'll be able to verbalize your struggle and turn it into thought leadership. Because in my eyes, advocacy is not just sharing your story. Advocacy is sharing something that is tangible, that could be implemented into anybody's given life that benefits or is about a specific situation. So you know, if you, like, again, anybody can recommend anything and you can say, oh, an influencer recommended that to me. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it happens in our day to day, but when it comes to advocacy, it's more of like a life shift, a mindset shift. It's not something that's like, as granular as like a
0: pair of socks that you love, you know? Totally. Well, Gigi, you are literally a badass. You are doing so much. Please tell everybody where they can find you and like what's next for you as well. Oh my gosh. Well, thanks. I appreciate you
1: having me. And um, I apologize. I know this was like a short episode, <laughs> but I had so much fun. And this was a really fun conversation um, Googling my name or just the at symbol, the word it's, and my name, Gigi Robinson. So, at it's Gigi Robinson anywhere and my website, ggrobinson.com. And what's next? I have a couple exciting press things coming up and mental health awareness month is going to be really big and popular on my page as in I'm going to be very busy working the whole time. So, um, please give that a follow and I will for sure, um, you know, engage or if you have any questions, uh, my assistant can check through my DMs and give me the high level if you need some help. But um, yeah, this was again, so
0: much fun. And I hope you found value from this episode. Yeah, Thank you so much for taking the time and can't wait to see all your very exciting upcoming content. Yay! Yay! Yay. Thank you. Bye. Of course. You to Gigi for coming on the podcast. And guys, if you aren't already, make sure to subscribe to the show. Leave us a five star iTunes review. Check us out on TikTok at Wannabe It Girl Podcast and on Instagram at Confessions of a Wannabe It Girl. And we'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs>